Good morning. I hope the sound quality is very much improved with our uh, my new microphone. Uh, we are on Gimel Amud Bet 3b, and we were in the middle of talking about the three reasons why one should not go into a ruin. Um, reason number one was because of danger involved. It could be dangerous walking into a ruin. Number two, because of collapse. Number two, it's people may be suspicious of you, and you don't want to put yourself in a place where people will be suspicious of you. They may be suspicious that why would you be going into a ruin other than to consort with a prostitute, perhaps. And number three is because of the evil spirits or perhaps even demons that frequent these ruins. Demons and Judaism are a fascinating topic, which uh, definitely should be elaborated on at a different point. So we started with um, wondering why we need all three reasons. Why do we need all three of these reasons to explain why you cannot go into a ruin? Wouldn't each one of these reasons be sufficient on their own? So we started with asking why we need the reason of the um, suspicion. Can't we learn that out from uh, number one? We said, wouldn't all the cases covered by suspicion be covered by the reason of danger? So just say you cannot walk into a ruin because of the danger involved. So the answer, we're talking perhaps about a new ruin, a ruin of a building that had recently been built and just be, and one of the walls collapsed. We don't assume the other walls will collapse because it's new and that there was just a very small uh, deficiency in that one wall. Okay, so now we're gonna we're gonna start in, inside of the Gemara, the first line on page three B, first line in the in the Hebrew in the original text, the second word. Now, why do we need the reason of suspicion? Why don't we say you cannot go into a ruin because of demons, and that should cover all your bases? So we answer betray. We're talking about when two people walk in together. When two people walk in together, they're not subject to any of the demons' powers, um, whereas there still is a problem of suspicion. That perhaps they're going to consort with a prostitute. He betray, but wait a minute. If we're talking about two people going in together, don't we know that we're not going to be suspicious? There's not going to be a problem of suspicion because when two people go in, we believe that they would be ashamed to sin in front of the other one, so there would be no reason to be suspicious of what they're doing in there. So we answer, betray upritzi. We're talking about two people that are actually a very mo low moral moral character, and two people like that, there is reason, there is room for suspicion. Now we're going to go on to the next reason and try to understand why we needed it. We said that the another reason you cannot go into a ruin is because it may fall on you. It may um, it's dangerous. It may collapse on you. Now why? Do we need the reason of it falling on you? Wouldn't the reason of suspicion cover all of your bases? Umazikin. And wouldn't the reason of the demons cover all your bases? So we answer, betrayu kasheri. We're talking about where it's two people entering a ruin, and they are of high moral character. So when two people enter, there's no problem of demons. And when they're of a high moral character, there's no problem of suspicion. So the only problem left is that it may collapse on you, and therefore we needed to state it. Now we're going to talk about why we needed to state the reason of the demons. So we said the third reason you cannot walk into a ruin is because of the demons. Now why can't we just say that the reasons are because of suspicion and collapse? Uh, perhaps it will collapse. 
and not mention the reason of the demons, and it would cover those two reasons would cover all of your bases. So we answer Bakurabachadati. We're talking about a new ruin. So a ruin, so one of the walls collapsed, so it's a ruin, but the other walls are new, and there's no reason to assume they would collapse. So therefore, there's no problem of mapolis of it falling on you. Ubitray, ukesheri, and it's two people that are of high moral character, so there's no problem of suspicion. All that's left is the problem of demons. But now we have a question. Ibitray, if we're talking about two people, mazik and namileka, didn't we say that two people are not subject to the power of demons? So we answer, bimekoman chayshinon. You do have to worry. In a place where demons frequent, in a place where demons frequent, then they may be over to overwhelm two people, and their power would overwhelm and affect even two people together. That was just a little bit about demons. We're actually talking about for one person, and we're talking about a new ruin. So a new ruin, there's no problem of collapse. And this new ruin is standing in the fields, out in the fields. Out in the fields, we never assume that a prostitute is going to go all the way out in the middle of the wilderness, out in the fields, to, um, to peddle her trade or to peddle their trades. And therefore, we have no problem of suspicion. And because it's a new ruin, we have no problem of it falling. So the only problem we have then in that scenario is the demons. The Hasa Mishum Chashadleka, back in the Gemara, the Hasa Mishum Chashadleka, because there is no problem of suspicion. The Haisha woman or a prostitute in the fields in the wilderness is not found, is not usual. So the only problem left then is the demons. We are now at the colon, the first colon in the Gemara, and we're now going to go back to talking about the heavenly watches, how many watches there are at night. As I explained, watches are all about these groups of angels that would praise and sing to God at different points in the night, and were there three groups or were there four groups? And although this may not seem to have any sort of physical ramifications here in this world, this points to something very interesting, that we, and this has been made famous by Kabbalah, by Jewish mysticism, that we as people, we as Jewish people, are interested in understanding as much as we possibly can about God and the heavenly spheres, and therefore even though there may be no apparent physical ramification, just for our own understanding of God, these types of we will begin. The rabbis taught us. Arba mishmaros have halayla. There are four Rebbe, these are the words of Rebbe. Rebbe Nassan Omer Shalosh. Rebbe Nassan says, no, there are only three watches at night. My time What's the reason for Rebbe Nassan? Why does Rebbe Nassan feel that there's only three at night? See, because we learned in a verse in Judges, in Prophets, so in Judges. Gidon, it says, Gidon came, Umeya ish asher ito, and the 100 men that were to the edges of the camp, at the beginning of the middle watch. Tana, and we learn, there's no middle unless there's one before or one after. Therefore, if we're going to say that there's a middle watch, and the choices are three or four, that there's either three watches at night or four watches at night, we have to conclude that there's three watches at night, because if not, you would not have a proper middle. So that is where Rebbe Nassan has a proof that there are three watches at night. The Rebbe, and Rebbe who says there are four watches at night, how will he understand that verse that says there's a middle watch? 
Mighty Chona, what does it mean when it says there's a middle watch? Achas min ha-tichona tichonos. It's one of the two middle watches. So there are two middle watches, but we refer to each one of them as middle watches. And that's why there can still be four watches. Rabbi Nasan and Rabbi Nasan will answer, Rabbi, miksiv tichonos It doesn't say in the verse, the middle, one of the two middle watches. It says the middle, tichonaksiv. It says the middle watch. And therefore, that would seem to tell us very clearly that there's only three watches at night. Now, where does Rebbe, who says that there are four watches, where does he get his opinion from? So we are six lines before we get to the wide lines. So six lines before we get to the wide lines. And we will now talk about where Rebbe's opinion comes from. My time of the Rebbe. What is the reason for Rebbe that he feels that there are four watches at night? said the name of Rebbe Ami, who said this in the name of Rebbe Levi. Omer. One verse says, The verse says about King David that at midnight I will get up to praise you because of the righteousness of your judgment. And there's another verse about King David. About King David. That my eyes preceded two watches. So in other words, I got up and there were still two watches ahead of me. How could this possibly be? So we know that King David gets up at midnight, and we know that there are two watches still ahead of him. How could that possibly be? It must be that there are four watches in the night. Two watches before midnight and two watches after midnight. Rabbi Nassan. Now, how does Rabbi Nassan understand this? How can King David say he gets up while there are two watches still left? And he gets up at midnight. That would only leave, according to Rabbi Nassan, who says that three watches make up the night, that would only leave one and a half watches, not two watches. So how would he understand that verse that says that Rabbi, that King David got up when there are two watches still left for the night? So Rabbi Nassan sub back into the Gemara, two lines down, two lines before the wide lines. Rabbi Nassan sub like Rabbi Shua. Rabbi Nassan holds like Rabbi Yoshua. It's nine, because we learned in a Mishnah. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Rabbi Yeshua says, Ad shaos, you can say the morning Shema until three hours into the day, until the third hour of the day. Because it is the way of kings to get up at the third hour. So it's the way of kings to get up at the third hour. So from midnight to the third hour, that is Shistalelia, so that's six hours of night, and two hours during the day. That's eight hours. Havilahu shte mishmaros. That is the equivalent of two watches, according to Reb Nassan, because Reb Nassan holds that there are three watches at night. Each watch is four hours, so eight hours is the equivalent of two watches. So what King David was saying is, is that when I get up at midnight, I am getting up the equivalent of two watches before other kings do. I'm getting up eight hours before other kings do. Not that there are two actual night watches before I get um still. Still there before I get up, but the equivalent, the eight hours are there before I get before I get up eight hours before other kings get up. Ravashi Omar Mishmara Upalga Nami Mishmaros Karilhu. Ravashi explains how Rib Nasan is going to understand this is that even one and a half watches can be referred to as Ashmuros, as plural watches. Once you get to more than one watch, you can refer to it as watches. It doesn't have to mean two watches, and therefore when, Rabbi, when King David says, I got up, and I still had two watches, or plural, watches ahead of me, it could just mean one and a half watches. Okay, now we're going to see something interesting. 
we had quoted a teaching just now of Rabbi Zreka. Once we quote one teaching of Rabbi Zreka, we're now going to teach another teaching of Rabbi Zreka, even though it seems irrelevant. Amr Rabbi Zreka, Amr Rabbi Ami, Amr Rabbi Shulban Levi, Rabbi Zreka said in the name of Rabbi Ami, in the name of Rabbi Shulban Levi. We just start, by the way, at the next colon, two lines down in the wide lines. So what does Rabbi Zreka say? If you have a dead body before you, a corpse before you, you cannot speak in front of it, only things that apply to the dead body. Rabbi Abba qualified this and says this is only true when it comes to words of Torah. When it comes to words of Torah, we have to be very careful what we say in front of a dead person because we have to show proper respect. And if we start talking about the Torah, a mitzvah that the dead person can no longer fulfill, that will that is disrespectful and insensitive. And therefore, when it comes to words of Torah, the only words of Torah that can be said are those that are applicable to the body, to the dead sitting in front of us. Just to talk of any different other types of conversations that are not Torah related, you can talk about whatever you want because then it's not going to make the, the dead person feel that. It's not insensitive because that, was, that type of discussion is not a mitzvah, so it's not rubbing it in the face of the dead body that you are engaging in a mitzvah that he or she cannot engage in. The Ikadamri, and some teach this differently. The Ikadamri, some say, Amr Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana, Rabbi Amma Bar Kahana says, Lo Amran Ella Afilu Bidivrei Torah. We said that you cannot have these discussions in front of a dead body. Certainly, when it comes to words of Torah, the Kol Shekein Midli Alma, and all the more so when it comes to just regular conversation. Because the point, according to this way of the, according to this understanding of the teaching, is that you have to be very careful what you discuss in front of the dead, more so that you will have, you will be able to um, be level-headed. You will keep your head. You will not be, you will not just talk about anything. You have to have a certain seriousness when you're in front of the dead. So for sure, when it comes to words of, so when it comes to words of Torah, you have to be careful. But then, of course, when it comes to other types of conversations. You have to be very careful what you mention in front of dead people because you have to keep a level of seriousness and a level of respect. Okay, now we're going to go back to talking about King David and when he would get up at night. That's the next colon, uh, probably five or six lines down in the wider lines. Now, did King David really get up at midnight? Don't we know that he got up? Already at evening time, once e once night fell, he already got up, meaning he slept very little. He didn't even sleep till midnight, I thought, was the thinking. You see, because we learned in a verse, I get up at Neshef, at which point I supplicate. Those are the words of King David. And what is Neshef? Neshef is a reference to evening. Now, from where do we know? What makes us think that the word Neshef is a reference to evening or a reference to night? Because the verse tells us, When is Neshef? When the day is waning, when the day leaves, and the darkness of night, and the blackness of night comes. So we see that Neshef is nighttime, the fall of nighttime, and it sounds like that's when King David would get up. So how do we understand the previous verse that we quoted where King David says that I would get up at midnight? So Rav Oshia, 
Rav Oshia says, Am Rav Achi said in this, Rav Oshia said in the name of Rabbi Acha, Achik Amar, this is what the verse is saying. It's never happened that midnight passed and I was still sleeping. So generally, King David would get up at nightfall. But even if he did sleep past nightfall, he would be up certainly by the time midnight struck. This is another way to reconcile the two verses. Rabbi Zera Omar, Rabbi Zera says, Until midnight, he would doze. Jesus, like a like a horse. A horse never completely falls asleep. He dozes. So King David would sit and study the Torah and would doze off. But once midnight came, that is when he would strengthen himself like a lion and be fully awake and ready to go. Ravashi Amar Ravashi gives a bit of a different way to reconcile the two verses. Ravashi says, Ad chatzos laila haya osek Torah. Until midnight, King David would would learn Torah. Once midnight struck, that's when he would deal. That's when he would engage in praise and in song to God. So that is the, the that is what would happen. Nightfall, he would certainly be awake and he would learn Torah. And then when midnight struck, that is when he would engage in singing and praise. Which is really the what the verse says that at midnight it doesn't say that midnight that's when King David got up. It's at midnight I would get up to praise you, God. Okay. Now we're going to talk about a, we're going to try to resolve a quick contradiction. Um, the word veneshef it's um, probably halfway down in the wide lines. Three words at the end of the line. Veneshef ortahu. Now we just explained that the word neshef meant nightfall. Does it really mean nightfall? Isn't Neshef a reference to morning? Because as the verse says, David, David struck them. This is talking about one of the wards. David struck them, David and his army, King David and his army. King David struck them from the Neshef until the next night. Now, wouldn't that seem to apply? imply that Neshef is a morning. And what the verse is saying is King David struck them from morning till evening. My love meets Safra Adlelia. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we think that this means that King David struck from morning till evening? So then we say, lo, may orta v'ad orta. No, it's a reference to a 24-hour battle that King David struck them from, I'm sorry, uh, to a 12-hour battle. King da- uh, I'm sorry, from a 24-hour battle. King David struck them from evening until the next evening. But wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Back in the Gemara, if so, that it means from evening till evening, the wording is off. If it's from the same time in one day to the same time the next day, it should have used the same word. The verse uses from Neshef to night. Why didn't it use from Neshef to Neshef if it meant from evening to evening? Or why didn't it use from night to night, from Erev to Erev? It must be telling you, it must be that Neshef is a reference to morning. Ella, Amarava, rather, Rava says, train is shafihu. There must be, it must be that Neshef can mean one of two things. It means a period where things are changing. Neshef lalya, it can mean the period of time when day goes into night. Fasiyamama, where, where, where night comes and day goes. Or Neshef yamama, or it's when day comes and night goes. 
So Nesef really can mean both things. It can mean both day and night. And that was that little piece of Gemara was just trying to understand what a word in the Torah meant, which is a very important part of the Gemara, really coming to understand every single word in the Torah, in the five books of Moses and in the prophets. Okay, back into the Gemara. Now we are uh, there's a period. Now we're going to talk about uh, back to King David sleeping. David now, how is it, or did King David really know when midnight was? We know about Moses that he didn't even know when King David, when night, when midnight exactly was. As we know, King Mo- Moses was speaking to the Pharaoh and, would, and said, At around midnight, I will come out into Egypt. My kachatsos, and what does it mean when it says around midnight? If it means, if what Moshe was doing was just relaying the way God spoke to him, and God told him around midnight, that cannot be. Does God have any doubt into, as to when exactly midnight is? It cannot be that God told Moshe around midnight, because God knows exactly when midnight is. Rather, it must be that God told Moshe, I am going to come into Egypt. Relate to the Pharaoh, I am going to come to Egypt at midnight. And Moshe came and said to the Pharaoh around midnight. Obviously, Moshe himself was in doubt as to when exactly midnight was. So if Moshe was in doubt as to when exactly midnight was, the David have yada? Does it make sense to say King David, who is certainly not at the same level of of connection with God and the heavens as Moshe was, does it make sense to say that he would know exactly when midnight was? So we answer yes. David Simana Havale. King David actually had a very specific sign. Omar of Achabar Bizna, Omar of Shimon Hasidar, of Achabar Bizna said in the name of Shimon, Kinar David. There was a harp. That would sit on top of the bed of King David. And the moment midnight came, a northern wind would come, and would the wind would come and strike the harp. And the harp would start to play. The wind would play the harp. And at that point, King David knew it is now midnight. He would get up, and he would deal with the Torah, and he would learn the Torah. And we know that he would sing praises until morning fell. Even the morning sunrise came. The sages, the wise people of Israel would come and they would talk about all of the needs of the Jewish people and the pressing issues that needed to be discussed. One time the following conversation took place. They said to King David, Our king, your nation needs to be sustained. Your nation needs to be taken care of. Care of. Amr lahem, King David said to them, Let those that have more help take care of those that have less. Amr they said to him, They said to him, A handful is not able to satisfy the lion. In other words, what is available to the nation is not enough to is not sufficient for the entire nation. There's not enough the people that are rich do not have enough to to satisfy all of the people that are poor. They gave another type of uh, of 
of a parable. A pit cannot become full with its dirt, with its own earth, the same type of concept. There's just not enough to go around. So what can we do, King David? So King David answered. King David knew that at the time there were legions of different nations that would loot and ransack the Jewish communities. And that's really why they did not have enough. So King David understood that at this point it was time to defend themselves and to go on the offensive against these nations, against these other nations that would loot and ransack the Jewish communities in order that the Jewish communities would be able to provide for themselves and not have to fear all of their needs, all of their um, all of their stuff being taken away. And this is what he said. This is what King David said back into the Gemara. Amr Lahem, he said to them, Go and stretch your arm out with legions. Go, in other words, go and wage war against these other nations. So immediately what the wise men did was, is they went and spoke to Achitofel, who was King David's advisor, an advisor that would one day, um, that would one day stab King David in the back. But as of right now, he was his advisor. And then they would go and discuss the matter. They would go and discuss the advice King David gave with the Supreme Court, the 71-person court that sat in Jerusalem. And then they would ask the divine. A name of God was written on parchment and put into one of the vestments, one of the clothings of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, right into the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. And the king would be able to ask questions of God and receive some sort of communication through the Urim Vitumim, through the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest. And now we're going to prove that this is what was done. Whenever whenever an important matter needed to be thought about and needed to be discussed, it would go through the advisor, Achitofel, then to the great court, the supreme court, and then to the breastplate. And it would be done in that order and in that way every single time. And we have a verse that says that. Amr of Yosef, my of Yosef said, where does the verse that tells us that this was the way that issues would be dealt with? The verse says, After Achitofel, who was the advisor, would be discussed with. And then, And then it goes on to say that the general of the king was Yoav. Achitofel, so now we're going to analyze this verse to teach us the order and how it was every issue would be discussed. Achitofel ze yoetz. Achitofel was the advisor. V'chein hu omer, and so does the verse tell us, so does scripture tell us. V'atzas achitofel asher ya'atz bayamim ahem kasher yishal ish bedvar ha'elokim. And the counsel of achitofel that he advised in those days was as if someone would inquire of the word of God. That's how significant and incredible his counsel was. We will continue talking about the order of counsel and how the kingdom would go and decide important issues. We will continue with that in our next podcast on Monday morning. Just to recap what we did today, we started talking about uh, going into ruins and why we needed all the different explanations. Um, that obviously needs more thought to understand why we're talking about that in the first place. Um, we then spoke about the watches. Are there three watches or are there four watches and the proofs? And we spoke about why this is important 
because it gives us a better understanding of heaven and God, and that itself is in, is in of itself something that is important and significant, and it's really the basis of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism, and truthfully of, of Hasidus as well, knowing God and knowing God and, uh, and all the heavenly attributes. Then we started to talk about what King David's morning looked like, his incredibly early morning, and then we spoke about what would happen once the night was over and King David would um, be began his day. The first thing that would happen was dealing with the issues of the Jewish people, of the nation, and how these issues were dealt with. Almost that separation of powers, three different ways that the issues, issues were dealt with. And we'll talk more about how issues were dealt with on Monday morning. Shabbat Shalom to you all. Thank you so much for listening.